You're listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast with your host, Jonathan Robinson-Lees. Welcome to the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast, and thanks for joining us. Today, we sit down with Nicole Law, a Blue Mountains local and an artist with a passion for continual growth. Commencing life as an artist in her late 30s, Nicole took the leap of faith and forged a new path in life. Challenging the conventional measures of success, Nicole no longer solely focuses on the output of her work, but embraces the journey and the fact that she keeps on going. The sense of agency that art provides has been liberating for her creative process, uncovering a greater love for the experience and her craft. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Passion and Perspective podcast. Nicole, welcome to the Passion and Perspective podcast. Thank you, Jonathan. Nicole, you described to me that success for you is that you just keep going. Why is that important to you? I think um, for a long time, uh, I, I had a really different definition of success and and I always beat myself up that I wasn't, inverted commas, successful. You know, I'd come from a background of, like, I did really well at school. I was one of those kids who was, like, kind of good at everything. And when I got into the world and the workforce, and I did really well at uni, you know, I topped my courses and all this kind of stuff. And then I, I got into the real world and I didn't hit the ground running. You know, I didn't get the jobs I wanted and I didn't make that career progression. And And all through my 20s and 30s, I was like, why am I not? successful but I realize I, I, you know it's a path mm. and I think um, the success part is not like the destination that I was like yes I'm successful now I've reached it and I know that I'm success but the success is like figuring out who I am and and keeping going on that path it's, it's the journey um, you know and I've really come to redefine what success is so it's no longer for me the the career success or or the making lots of bucks or you know any of those conventional measures it's am I becoming more like me that's my measure like so if I keep going and if if the things I choose to do in my life are making me more like me then that's success for me now what kind of clarity did that provide for you having that internal realization that Mm. to define success is it's an intrinsic thing it's not up to someone else to define that did that provide clarity for you in your life yeah it made me feel heaps better about myself like the the self-esteem that came with that that you know and we'll probably get into this a bit later but i think that's what having a creative practice can provide you with is that sense of agency that I get to decide this like I get to decide what success is for me now yeah the word clarity is really um quite appropriate and applicable there I think because now I I can kind of see a way forward like if if this feels like success if that feels like getting closer to me and my and who I am um then it is successful and and it's a clear decision in your reference there, I guess, the desire to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep uncovering. What's the motivation for that? What motivates you to keep going? 
I think um, knowing how far I've come, how much I've grown, um, and maybe the idea that I've got a lot of growth to go. <laughs> you know, the the motivation is like, oh, look how far I've come, and I've I've found out these things about myself, and and I feel fantastic about it, and um, uh, and my place in the world, and how I can operate in the world, and imagine myself in another 20 years like it it is motivating to say i can keep growing like you know i'm 46 years old and um and it's not, it's not over and i know people in their 60s and stuff will say oh you're such a like, <laughs> of course it's not over but it it there's more to come and that's the motivation you know yeah and as a mother nicole how do you go about imparting that philosophy or that approach to life knowing how refreshing it is and how much clarity it's given you when the world that we do live in is quite binary, you're right or wrong, you know, it's a pass or fail. Mm -hmm. How do you balance that as a mother imparting that on to your kids? I really started the growth part of this journey, I think, when my kids were babies. You know, up until then, I had a pretty conventional career. I was employed. And when I had my kids, I kind of lost a whole sense of identity and didn't, you know, I was a full-time mum for seven years, um, especially when they were little babies. It was boring. Like, I know some mums really <laughs> love that stage, but I was bored. And I was like, man, I cannot go to another park. I don't know, how, how am I going to get through this? Um, and that's when I started my one drawing a day thing. I was like, if I can just have 10 minutes a day to myself, I can start to claim a little bit of identity again so i think of a lot of how i've started to impart these beliefs to my kids which i am still figuring out myself as they grow up as i grow up is through role modeling you know they see what i do they hear me talk about my process um yeah i model it to them and i you know, I'd show them that it's okay not to have a traditional career path or it's okay to, well, not okay that we celebrate the creative life. But what I can encourage in them is the creative side because that's what can't be like, you know, you can, you, you, you can lose jobs, you can get jobs and whatever, but if you have a creative practice and it's part of your life, then no one can take that from you. So that's what I try and teach them, I guess. Nicole, you organised and crowdfunded your first art exhibition at age 40. What was the inspiration mm -hmm. behind that and putting yourself out there? Midlife crisis, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> you know, I was 39. My little boy, were, my youngest son was like, I don't know, 18 months old or something. And I was like, I'm turning 40. I've done nothing. What, what am I going to do in my life? Um, and then I started this one drawing a day thing on Instagram back when Instagram was fun and cool and it didn't have any ads in it and it was chronological and I made heaps of good friends. But I started doing this one, one drawing a day project and I, I gave myself permission to post shitty pictures and unfinished drawings and just to show that I had done 10 minutes a day and it was like a log. It was a diary for me, basically. But, you know, like some people on social media get trolled and they have really negative experiences. I only ever had really positive experiences. So, you know, my husband used to call them praise bombs and I was a bit addicted to it. Like when people said, hey, that's great, keep going. But it, 
like I know it it might sound a little bit um frivolous or or vanity or vain but it gave me the confidence to keep going to say oh maybe I do have something here maybe I can keep going and by the end of that year I was like do you know what I'm turning 40 I'm gonna do something with this I'm gonna have an exhibition of everything that I've done in the last year so um so I had a great little engaged following on Instagram and um I was like oh stuff this I'm gonna put it up and I'm very much like a better done than perfect kind of girl so one day when when my my kid was having his nap and I was like that's it I'm going to do the video for the kickstarter and by the end of the nap I had launched the project and I'm like that's it it's done and I'm like oh my god what am I going to do like no one's going to support this but it went so well and I um I also had like I applied for this government match funding like where they they matched anything that I raised on kickstarter so it's like I had money for a food truck at the exhibition. It was awesome. So it was like the best 40th birthday party you could have. It's those big birthdays ending with zero, which maybe just focus your mind a little bit, I think. So, uh, yeah, I've got my next one coming up in a couple of years. (laughs) uh, What's what's next for the 50th? I don't know. What what did it mean to you to firstly put it out there, but then for for it to go, I guess, better than expected. It, it meant a lot and and basically it was a proof of concept really. It's like, oh, I can I can do this. I can legitimately call myself an artist. I've had an exhibition. Um, and now my definition of artist has changed somewhat since then. But at the time I needed that that proof of concept to work for me. And I remember, you know, I did a little speech on the night and I remember saying, um, you know, for, for my whole life, I've wanted to do something really good. And like, because I always used to have this whinge when I was like, I just want to do something really good. And I would never get off my ass and actually do it, right? And then I did this thing and I, you know, I impressed myself. And I think like, I was really proud of myself. And I think that's, well, that's something I want to give to my kids as well, like a pride in what you do. But yeah, that's what I really got out of it. It's like, oh, I did something really good. <laughs> like, and by my own definition as well. There's no, no one else said, I'll have an exhibition, it'll be really good. It's like, no, no, I need to do this for myself. This is something I can be proud of. And yes, it was super nerve wracking. Like, you put your stuff on a wall and you make yourself vulnerable. Like, but, you know, I did it and I was proud. And along those lines, Nicole, you talk about, I guess, putting yourself out there and I guess for everyone to see your vulnerabilities are out there. How do you go about managing, I guess, your self-worth being tied to what you're producing, both positive and negative? You talked about the positive feedback you got online. Mm-hmm. How is it hard at times yeah. to separate your self-worth from feedback that people are giving you? Uh, no, because, because my self-worth comes not from the things that I produce but the act of producing them so it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what comes out of the paintbrush or the pencil if I've done the act if I have participated in the process then I have self-worth you know if I haven't tried then yeah whatever you know I can I'm very confident in what I'm looking at all my stuff now in my office here, but it's like, 
I'm very confident in, in what's coming out at the moment because I have had some successes, right? But I, it, it came to a point earlier this year where it's like, uh, there's an art fair in June or July, I think, um, that I could apply for. And I was like, yeah, I don't have much time, but you know, I could smash out a few paintings and, and I'd have a successful show, but it's like, yeah, I could smash them out. And the end result would probably be the same as if I took my time on them, honestly, but it wouldn't feel satisfying to me. Like the point is no longer just to smash them out. The point is the process. So yeah, my, my self-worth now comes from the fact that I, I, I give it a go. Yeah. Not from the end result. And you said to me before our chat, Nicole, that for you, art is a connection to the universe and it's a connection to mm -hmm. the self along those same lines. That meditative yeah. approach that it provides, does that have an influence on other aspects of your life? When you're immersed in the process of mm -hmm. your work, do you find that it does spread across to other areas of your life? I probably wish it did a bit more. Or, you know, like when I'm cranky with the kids or whatever and I was like, just breathe, imagine you're drawing. Um, I think it does. I think it does. You know, especially, you know, something like parenting, which is um it's it's the long game isn't it like there's a, sometimes there's not much not much in the way of success or or wins on any given day and you're like i've been cranky i've yelled at them i let them eat junk food and they watched screens all day and and you know sometimes it's like oh this parenting job it's long and hard and boring but i try you know and i have been in the place where i've beat myself up for not being the perfect parent um but like the art thing, if I can try every day, like I keep trying and it's the process, well, I guess the end result will matter. But, um, you know, those, it, it, I don't know if I'd call it meditation, but, um, yeah, the process of parenting, um, I think I probably do take some of my, the knowledge of self from my artwork into, into that. Have you found, having gone through the journey, especially the past kind of six or seven years, Nicole, that have you been amazed around what the human potential is? If someone had come to you, say, 10 years ago and said, this is where you're going to be in 10 years, do you look <laughs> at your life and others now and say, actually, we can push ourselves so much further than we actually do? Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, as I was saying to you before we started recording, um, I'm in the process of starting a business now. And um, I've had a couple of aborted attempts um, of doing that in the past. Um, and they haven't worked because I haven't fully believed in them. But I've kind of come to the stage now where I see these big successful businesses. Um, oh, they don't need to necessarily be big, but, um, you know, people, successful people. And I'm like, you're just a normal person who kept going. Like, that's that's it there's no secret here like you just actually didn't stop when everyone else did you know like and it could be getting through failure or getting through like really obvious failure or just like getting through boredom or you know get, getting through the not fun bits but you kept going and i think that's that's human potential isn't it it's like it's the actual not giving up and and the keeping going i think that's super important yeah Having taken the 
plunge, so to speak. And, and again, putting yourself out there, running the exhibition, but just committing and saying, you know, I am an artist and I'm going to keep doing this. And mm. you're starting a business, which is hugely exciting. What advice would you have for other people who are in the position that you were at 39, 40 years old where yeah. they might need a creative fix or they might have a passion project and they just need to tap into it? What advice would you pass on to them? Try and suspend judgment, I think. Um, I think a lot of people get caught up. They've got big ambitions, but their skill doesn't quite match their level of ambition yet. And, you know, we're all still there. But um, skills can be learned. And and they're just, you know, um, that's why I'm not a huge... I mean, I guess there are some people who have natural talent at things, but I think... I think tenacity is kind of the main one. You just got to keep going. So try not to judge yourself on the level of your skill. But if you have ambition that skills can be learned and things take time, you know, you you might learn those skills, but it might take you actually 10 years to get to the level that you're happy with. But I, I would say, yeah, try and suspend judgment because skills can be learned. Um, and it's more, it's about the process. If you come to the page every day and you do your work, then the skill will come. Like that's, it's just bloody hard work. Like just sit down and do it. We spoke with Matt Hamilton on the podcast recently, who's a local gym owner and has been pursuing a career in physical fitness for years. And he had a similar approach that it's, he gets the motivation through achievement that he just wants to keep pushing and pushing. And he also referenced that as a society, we're so caught up in instant gratification that we want quick wins mm. and the things that yeah. get us to fame or success quickly. Do you share a similar thought that we've probably become guilty of that craving for instant gratification? Oh, yeah. And, you know, I'm super guilty of it myself. I, I you know, I'm like, oh, let's just get this done. Let's do it quickly. And it's like, hang on, hang on. Take your time. You know, it's probably a pretty stereotyped answer but social media has got a lot to do with it i think you know we're just scrolling through and like 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 it's like do you actually like like are you doing anything like are you engaging with it on anything other than a visual level probably not um but yes instant gratification i think yeah like it's a hit isn't it like it's and it and it can keep you going, you know, a little little rewards, little bits of dopamine or whatever chemical it is. Um, I think we can get caught up in that, um, and it's taken me a long time to to not well to get past it. Well, I'm I'm not going to say I'm past it. I'm like, yeah, I want instant. I want this business to be a success this year. Yeah, I want to do this by this date, and I think it is important to have goals and deadlines like I am quite like apart from all this like process business that I rabbit on about I am a an action oriented person like I love to do lists and I love crossing them off and I love feeling that sense of satisfaction the inst maybe our love for instant gratification maybe we can do that with like little baby steps it's like maybe our big goal is a few years away but we can get those little hits that we Maybe our brains are hardwired to by achieving little things. Um, and sometimes, um, and this is a little bit off topic, but sometimes it's, for me, 
I started my career, my art career quite late. And one of the things that chases me is I'm running out of time. You know, I, I've got to be a success, like, and, you know, I'm 20 years behind everyone else, but it's like, actually, you know, you started where you had to start and there's actually no race. <laughs> like, you don't need to be a inverted commas success tomorrow. Like, I'm, I'm getting better at this stuff, you know, getting better. But it's the wisdom of getting older, isn't it? I guess starting later, Nicole, do you find yeah. consciously or not that, maybe life experience has shaped your art and shaped where it's ended up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And that's what I tell myself anytime I have those kind of inner critic thoughts of, Oh my God, you're, you're so far behind everyone else. You're running out. It's like, Hey, but you know, you've got a lot under your belt, like, you know, running a Kickstarter project like that and just getting it up and doing it. I couldn't have done that 20 years earlier. Like there's something that comes I don't know, some kind of competence or confidence that comes with age and experience. And this is part of, this is part of that thing. It's like, oh, I've grown so much. I wonder how much more I've got to go. Like that motivates me as well. Um, yeah, 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 definitely life experience. And I'm, I am getting more appreciative of that. So I think it's hard to recognize in yourself sometimes how much you've done and how much you know and how much you've seen. Like, and then you go and hang out with people or, or like I've done some teaching at uni, for example, or I've done some art workshops where people aren't as um, experienced with me or as experienced as me or, or as confident in their art making or, you know, I'm there to teach them. And I think, oh, like I do have something to teach them. Yeah. Like I do know this stuff. Yeah. And even if it's just attitude, like, I can teach them this attitude because I've been th I've been through that, and um, just acknowledging it to myself. I think. Yeah. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast, brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Nicole, you grew up in Helensburg. What was mm -hmm. your childhood like? Uh, it was kind of I guess small town uh, we lived near the bush we went camping a lot um, and uh, like my parents were big on the on the big camping trips like so when I was nine years old we went around Australia for six months and a few big trips like that but I actually think it totally burnt me for camping because I'm just like I like hot showers you know I'm a bit of a princess now <laughs> But I am grateful because a lot of that, like, I know a lot of stuff about Australia that I learned when I was nine years old. What was um, so, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah a lot of camping and kind of, yeah, that sort of thing. And what was the role of art during your youth? Uh, not much, to be honest. Like, I, I was always kind of the an arty kid like I did lots of drawing and I always um, chose art electives at school and um, I suppose um, it wasn't I don't want to say it wasn't either encouraged or discouraged it's kind of just what I did um, it was always kind of understood though like when I got to my later years of high school that that art wasn't a career like it was a hobby and that you needed to have a proper proper job 
to provide stability and security. So I never, um, I never even entertained the idea that it could be a career choice. Interestingly, and yeah, I don't want to put anything down on my parents because they're gorgeous and I love them. And um, yeah, but they came from a different time and background where art wasn't a, a um, career pursuit. You know, they didn't know any artists. Yeah. Do you recall what you enjoyed about art, even if it was a hobby or doing it at school? Was there something about it back then that drew you in? Hmm. Um, I don't know. Never really thought about that. Um, I guess, I guess I had like a natural ability in it. Okay. So, um, you know, that satisfaction that I could draw or, um, but yeah, like using my imagination. I remember like this really cool. We had to do self portraits in year eight where you could, it was like a fantasy self portrait. And I put myself with like rainbow hair and I had like this purple turban on and all kinds of stuff. But yeah, it was like you could imagine a different life for yourself than, um, than a suburban girl. Yeah, that sense of imagination. You said at the start, Nicole, that. You did quite well at school. You performed well at school mm-hmm. academically. Were there certain aspects or certain subjects that you were drawn towards academically? Um, I, I was more like one of the kids who was a bit good at everything and not amazing at one thing. So, you know, I did um, the top English and the top maths and I did chemistry and I did economics and I did art, I think, for my HSC. So I just wanted to cover all my bases, you know. And but the thing is, I enjoyed all of those things. And when I left school, I actually did an accounting cadetship for a couple of years because I didn't know what to do. And I already had a, the job offer. And there's the stability and security. It's like, yeah, I'll be an accountant. Um, but <laughs> it didn't take long to realise that I just was not a good fit there. Not a good fit at all. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> and around that time, like being a cadet accountant, you know, it seems a far cry from where, where you are now. <laughs> Did you have a career ambition? Was it, I'm going to pave my career in the world of accounting? Or uh, did you have other ideas? I don't know what I was thinking, Jonathan. I don't know what I was thinking. It was stupid. And even now I'm like, when, you know, 17 and 18-year-old kids leave school, I'm like, how are they supposed to know what they want to do? They're so young. Unless you are one of these really driven people who was like, yep, I'm going to be a dentist. It's like, good on you, mate. Off you go. But it's like, I think a lot of us will have these, I, I think they call them portfolio careers now, where you just, so I wanna, that's one thing I will be telling my kids. I'm like, don't worry if you don't know what you want to do. And don't even worry about your HSC because you will find a way to what you want. In my life, I've never been, like, while I've been action-oriented and I've never been goal-oriented, so I've never had that five-year plan of I've kind of just done what comes next and I think it's only kind of the last couple of years and even now starting a business where it's like oh I've got to have an actual goal because otherwise I'm just going to meander through and just not know what I'm working towards so I think um yeah I never had that driving goal and I think that's maybe it was necessary for me to kind of come this weird path through accounting and graphic design and product design and art and now to small business. But um, yeah, 
yeah, it's okay now. I feel okay about that now. <laughs> it's been a process. You moved to the Blue Mountains about five years ago, Nicole. What drew you to this area? Well, at first, this is this is the first home that we've owned. We've always been renters before this. And um, we were living in a tiny two-bedroom apartment with two little boys in Elizabeth Bay in the city. And I was just like, I need some space, man. I need to get out of here. So we started looking um, for places. And, you know, our family's scattered all over Sydney. So we didn't kind of have... And our friends are scattered all over Sydney. So we, we didn't have a particular place we wanted to go. And we started looking. And we came up here for a weekend just for an, to an Airbnb. And, um, and we loved it. And the kids loved it. And we're just like, let's start looking in the mountains. And my husband was actually work, just started working in Western Sydney. And we were like, okay, let's let's look in Glenbrook because it's only like a 20-minute drive then. And we just like slowly started kept going up the mountain and we ended up in Lura, which I'm so happy about. Not because I don't like the lower mountains, but I really like cold weather. <laughs> like, it's like, oh yeah, this is where I belong, man. So it's the, so we moved up without any friends or family here. And um, honestly, it feels like home. Like I will never go back to Sydney. Um, I might have a nice, lovely little holiday house by the beach one day would be nice i love the beach but um like the community here and the environment here and the schools and it's just all gelled for us it was it was the best move we ever made and what was the shift in your perspective we, we spoke about clarity earlier on was, yeah. was the move to the mountains did that provide a sense of clarity or just i guess freshness to your life yeah yeah for sure there was um clarity but there's also that opportunity when you move to a new place to redefine yourself um and it wasn't so much that i redefined myself but maybe that i reasserted to myself uh this is who i am so when people ask me oh what do you do oh i'm an artist like no one knows who i am i can be whatever i want every second person up here is a bloody artist so but you know it's that sense of it's a fresh start it's a uh, it's an opportunity for, for definition, I guess. So, yeah, definitely clarity. And I could say, actually, this is a fresh start in my life. What do I want that to look like? Your working career, Nicole, as you referenced, you spent some time as a graphic designer and a product designer. When you're in those roles, how, how do you go about balancing your creativity and your ideas and your influence with the brief that you're often getting from the client. Which is why I've now quit graphic design, right? Um, look, I, I went into graphic design, I, I think, because it was creative career. You know, it's, you think, oh, I'm a creative person. This is, this is the way to do it. And sometimes it is, but a lot of the time you are just following instructions and moving shapes around a page. <laughs> and it can get pretty tedious. Um, and, you know, people are like can you make that orange it's like yeah i can make it orange press the button made it orange but it's like i had kind of made a blue for a reason because i'm a graphic designer with 20 years experience and it's better blue but everyone thinks they're a bloody designer so it can get really frustrating i only really started my art practice uh so i i didn't have a job at that time and and then i got a job when my kids started school so i was 
but I got a part-time job. I was working three or four days a week. Um, so I could kind of compartmentalize, you know, it's like, this is my job. This is what I get paid for. I do what I'm asked. And yes, I do bring my creativity to that, but, um, my, my art world is mine. You know, I can do what I want and I don't need to listen to anyone, which is kind of nice. And with your art practice, when you start a piece of work, do you have the end result in mind? Do you know what you want it to look like? Sometimes. I do lots of little sketches, um, like literally on post-it notes. I've got hundreds of post-it notes around the place. So I kind of have these ideas and I'll, I'll, I'll spit out 20 of them. And I, so I'm pretty fast at that kind of thing. And then I'll start the big thing. But I often just start like, like just yeah I'm pretty spontaneous in that sense and then sometimes I do get to the end and go hmm could have planned that better um but I, I yeah I think some of the spontaneity is is part of the attraction but also when I first started I was doing quite a different style of work I was doing the real meditative repetitive drawing and I did kind of know what it would look like in the end and it was almost like coloring in like I just I did the repetition and I did it and I did it and it would take weeks or months, but that was a part of the joy. But like the end result was more than the sum of its parts. But I did in that sense, I kind of did have an idea what it would look like, but often I was surprised by the effect in the end um, because I was doing this. I've got one in particular in mind. It's, it's in the garage there, but it's a big, like, it's a big circle and it's um, 120 centimetres in diameter and it's just repetitive lines over and over, like in concentric circles all the way to the edge. So I kind of, I knew what it was going to look like, but then you get to the end and you're like, oh, wow, like it moves or there's certain areas which have different textures and it's like, oh, so there are still surprises. There's surprises even for yourself. But for the audience, are you wanting to prescribe to them the piece of artwork or do you like leaving it open to interpretation and saying, hey, you look at that piece and you see what you want to see? Yeah. Look, when I finish it, it's not mine anymore, honestly. Like I, and I hand it over with joy and love and say, off you go into the world. And um, yeah, I've had... <laughs> lots of times where people have thought that they're different things to what I thought. Like like some of those concentric circle drawings, people say, oh, it's like the bottom of a basket or it's like, oh, it's like the rings of a tree. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. That's that's really cool. Um, <laughs> but then last year I was doing these really bright and colourful um, Sturt's Desert Peas and they were very stylized and they were kind of this gibbous shape with a black dot in the middle. And a guy came up and he was just like, what's with all the surfboards? And I'm like, dude, they're not surfboards. <laughs> like, how do you, do you not know what a Sturt's Desert Pea is? Like, I, like, it was just so out of left of centre and I was like, oh, cool. Well, yeah. So I just explained to them what they were supposed to be and he, I showed him a picture on my phone and he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I can see that. But, um, yeah, it's interesting what people <laughs> see in it. Yeah. And are you trying to elicit certain emotions from the audience? Do you want them to feel a certain way with your artwork? No, not at all. It's because I'm not thinking of the artwork itself when I'm doing it um like I said before it's the process and my process so I did have this 
time so for about five years I worked purely in black and white and I was doing all this meditative repetitive drawing and then um the bushfires 2020 came and I just I couldn't work in black and white anymore like I, and I started doing these outrageously colorful like like so different to what I was doing before colorful I stuck glitter paper on it like there's glitter all over it. it's like I've just gone from like this kind of really calm meditative monochrome stuff to like this in your face stuff with bloody glitter on it for god's sake and it's like so no I wasn't trying to elicit a response I was trying to I guess process my own response to what was happening in the world um and what I needed at that time was optimism and color and life and knowing that there was a way forward and still a place for glitter in the world amongst all this destruction and sadness do you get much feedback from viewers from the audience who do say though that that piece made me feel a certain way or you know that piece brought happiness into my life during a dark time oh yeah yeah oh that and it's so like such a lovely feeling i've got goosebumps like just thinking about it because um one of the things i you know i have done all these art fairs and exhibitions and things especially art fairs because there's like a hundred artists there and there's thousands of people coming through and and people have said to me oh aren't you nervous like like putting your stuff out there and i'm like no not really because most people are nice you know and and if that if my work is not their cup of tea they just walk past and that's fine because i don't like all art but like it's not for everyone and the people that do like it stop and have a chat with you and they go oh you just made me smile and i'm like hey i made someone smile that is cool that is really cool and you know oh one of the i don't know if you've seen them but last year during lockdown i did a whole lot of five minute videos on instagram uh during lockdown to kind of i wanted to grab five minutes of space to draw every day while we were doing homeschooling so i was just like this is my space i wanted to put it on instagram to say if you need space too here's five minutes sit down and draw with me and that was like my little artwork offering to the world at that point like it wasn't it wasn't the the thing that came out on paper or on canvas or whatever that this little video was the artwork and it's only like it's taken me a while to realize that because <laughs> I'm like I'm not doing anything it's like you're doing the video the video is the artwork but the response that I got from that was amazing like people were like oh it's just a little moment of connection in my day you know I do sit down and draw with you oh, a lot of people were like I do sit down um for five minutes but I don't draw I do the washing up I just find your voice calming I'm like that's amazing like I'm the you know no one's ever called me calm before but yeah, I had such lovely responses from that. And to know that you've affected someone's life is, it's really special. Have you always understood or appreciated the power of art and what it can bring, do you think? Or has it, again, only been more recently that through that kind of self-discovery, you have realised mm. the influence that it can have on people's lives? Yeah, yeah. I think it's only recent for me because I've, you know, uh, I. I'm a very casual consumer of art. Like I would go to a major gallery or something maybe to see a big show, but I'm not someone who trawls the small galleries and goes to every exhibition and stuff. Like it's not part of my life. It's the making 
for me that has been the the revelation I think yeah and but but then like I'm just like this little suburban mom who makes stuff in her spare room and if that affects someone I'm I'm like oh wow this stuff is powerful yeah who knew what is your proudest piece do you have one that just stands out and says yep that's me that just was everything that I was trying to set out to achieve that's it is there one that really stands out for you no i well, i think the videos now that i'm thinking of it the videos have been and and you know it's not my traditional output but um they've been probably the most rewarding the most rewarding thing everything else <laughs> kind of like blends into one like you know i had a studio sale last week and i was going through all my stuff it's like what could i sell blah, blah, we'll put it out here because my room's filling up um and i pull out some stuff and i'm like it's really good like i forgot i did that <laughs> so there's that there are there i forget about a lot of it but um so i don't know if i'm particularly proud of one piece um what i'm yeah what i'm proud of is I'm proud that I have shared my process because that's where I feel like I've influenced or inspired the most people. And, you know, when I say the most people, there might be three or five. You know? <laughs> like it's, I, I don't have a far-reaching audience. But people have said to me, I did this because I was inspired by you. And it's not because my actual artwork is amazing. It's because they saw me drawing every day and they thought, they thought if she can do it, I can do it. And that's what I'm proud of. I'm proud that I've inspired people through my actions. This is the Passion and Perspective podcast brought to you by Sporting Chance Media. Being an inspiration and an influence to others, if you go back a step, who's been the greatest influence on you becoming an artist but also growing as an artist? I would probably say julia cameron the author of the artist's way if you can see my bookshelf behind me it's full of like art and inspiration you can be an artist books but the artist's way was the one that changed my life um it's the one that helped me understand that i could be an artist and that that the creative life was um one worth pursuing during those times of again discovery what what do you do or what have you done to overcome self-doubt? Because we've spoken a lot about the, the creative field, whatever that might be. It might be mm -hmm. music, art, podcasts, whatever that may be. Yeah. What do you do to overcome the times where you doubt yourself? Um, I write a lot. And, and that's one thing that I learned from the artist's way because Julia Cameron is big on what she calls the morning pages where you just write three pages of it's a it's a brain dump really you get it get it out of your head but i've learned through that that if i can write out my fears then they don't have as much power um so writing about it is one thing i do um and i don't i don't have to do it so much anymore but i still write regularly um because it helps me know what i think you know it gets the thoughts out of my head and and you know, this, the morning pages, which is supposed to be three pages long, often there's like what I call the 
page three revelation where like the first two pages you're whinging about your husband and your kids and there's no milk in the house and and on the third page like something happens and it just like you're like oh right that's the answer to that question like it's like you had to get all the rubbish out of your head first and then answer to whatever problem you're seeking kind of comes out of its own accord so yes do a lot of writing but also the other thing i do is i take action like a lot of the time I just do things despite my fear and get on with it. So the <laughs> thing that I'm facing this week, I have an overdue tax return and I don't know if you can see it, but I have this morning sorted out all my receipts from last year and um, starting a new business. My biggest fear is just not knowing about finances. And I'm like, okay, I have to ring an accountant and or bookkeeper. And that's, that's the action that I'm going to take today. So yeah, it's it's the list making and crossing off habit. It's uh, also quite good. You spoke earlier, Nicole, about becoming a mother. Whilst beautiful and amazing, it did come <laughs> or does come with a bit of loss of identity as well. You fully yeah. commit yourself to another human being. What has motherhood taught you? <laughs> okay. Oh, look, I could come out with all the trite answers, but um, you know, and. There have been times when I when I see friends without kids and I'm like, oh, that's a really valid life choice. You know, <laughs> sometimes I was like, oh, dreaming, all those things that people can do. But I would not have started this journey if I hadn't gone through that loss of identity to find myself. You know, it made me grow up. Like, that is it. Like, it forced me to actually look at my life and stop complaining and figure out what I wanted to do. Um, so yes, being a mother to children has made me not be a child myself. <laughs> Finally, Jesus took long enough. And I know we don't like in life to dwell on hypotheticals too much, but do you think your journey of an artist would have occurred as it, as it has, if it wasn't for having kids? No way. I wouldn't have gotten off my ass to do it. You know, like I would have. I would have kept being a designer or, or whatever and kept whinging that I wanted to do something really good and never been pushed. I, I think I would have never grown. I mean, I may have got there eventually, but not in this, not in this way. So I'm grateful, grateful for that experience and still grateful every bloody day. <laughs> do you think being a, a parent as well, when you you produce your work you're doing your art practice do you find you can be less critical of your work or you're invested but you're almost you're able to step away from it at the end and say at the end of the day i've given it my all and that's okay there's other things in life you know you hear sports people and stuff talk about greater perspective once they've had kids have you found that same experience that you're almost less tied to your work i'm not sure because i didn't really have my work before i had kids um and i never I would never call myself really driven. <laughs> like I could never be that sports person or, you know, the, the person who gets up at 5am to swim their laps. Like I never had that sense of focus or, or desire or drive. And then you have kids and you're like, oh, there's something different in my life. I'm kind of like, oh, I've got all these things in my life and now I want to be driven. <laughs> like now I have this other thing that I actually want to focus on. Um, and sometimes I do feel that's a distraction, not, not a 
distraction. I don't want to give you the wrong idea, but um, yeah, sometimes I do get resentful that I have other responsibilities and I just want to work on this stuff. But it's all it's all balance, isn't it? Like I I actually I think my personality type I don't have that that drive. Like I I don't have the drive to be the best or the most amazing or like that singular focus that I know a lot of, you know, sports people and the top artists probably have as well, you know. Um <laughs> too laid back. <laughs> You said it earlier on in our chat, Nicole, that for your work, it's better done than perfect. Mm-hmm. How do you balance that pursuit of perfection in your own mind and output? Because there is a need to produce. And if we were seeking perfection, we'd end up just with a lot of half-finished work. How do you yeah. go about balancing that? That oh, You want it to be the best that it can, but at the end of the day, it needs to be out there in the public eye. That's right. Um, I think perfectionism is the enemy of art and the enemy of creativity. Um, And there's so many people who have given up or never engaged in it because they are afraid that it won't be perfect. And it's like, what a, what a life half lived if you're trying to be perfect. I do think there's a balance because you don't want to be half-assed about things either. Like I don't, I don't want to be scrappy. I want to, I want to give it my all. And know that I've tried and know that I'm, I can be proud of myself. But nothing's perfect. Like, put it out there. It's like, yeah, you could spend forever doing it. So that's where the action comes in, I think, getting over that, that fear that it won't be perfect. Because do you know what? It won't be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. Yeah, so I'm, I'm quite strong on this because I have an eight-year-old who is a perfectionist and he is not interested in doing learning any new skills unless he's good at it straight away. So I'm really trying to train him out of that. And, um, and, and, and teach them and teach myself that it's like the fun is in the making and the process and it's messy and it's imperfect. And yeah, yeah. I just think perfectionism is a really nasty thing that, People can hide behind too because it in it it seems like a virtue, you know. Like people brag that they're perfectionists, and it's like, well, I'm really sorry for you because you're not having a decent life. <laughs> like you know, it's it's like you doing your podcast. If you waited till everything was perfect, because I can see that you have no ceiling in your studio. If you had to wait till you had the perfect studio, you'd never get anything done. You just said, look, this is what I got for now. Let's go with it. I think that's so true. And even when I reflect on the podcast and, you know, the editing process and there might be a little bit of background noise or maybe me and the guests spoke over each other for a moment, but in the scheme of things, it doesn't actually impact the output. And if I sat around spending triple, double, whatever amount of time trying to perfection, Uh, it had actually reduced the quality and then potentially reduced the output as well. And I, I think it's interesting you speak about that because I think there's probably a lot of creatives out there who, as you say, are putting a handbrake on themselves because they're in this pursuit of something that is perhaps unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I think you've got to... Being a perfectionist is focusing on the output and not the process. So. Um, if you remember 
why you're doing something like you're you're engaging um in making this podcast not to make the most beautiful audio production you're doing it to talk to have conversations with interesting people and you know find out what the human spirit can do like that's your why like and that's the interesting part not i can create this really clean audio file whatever <laughs> you, you lose all the interesting parts when you try and be perfect it's yeah. been an incredible journey for you to this point nicole with many different paths you've traveled do you take time to regularly reflect on your journey to this point i i do, I do and it becomes part of that writing thing i think because um i can i can beat myself up for not yeah, like I said before, for not being successful, but I have to remember, yeah, what my new definition of success is. But um, also, yeah, I don't, I don't think I have a great memory. So sometimes I do need to remind myself all oh, the stuff I've done. Yeah. Like it was interesting actually yesterday I, um, I volunteered to be an ethics teacher at my kid's school and I, you have to have an interview. And he was like, oh, so tell me a bit about yourself and, you know, before that and do that. And I was like, oh, done a few interesting things haven't I yeah it's like oh, okay yeah so um I think it is important to reflect the reflection helps you understand how how much you've learned how far you've come and yeah and and maybe what all those experiences can um lead to or or, or what skills they've given you Along the same lines, Nicole, do you believe in life that we find ourselves or that we create ourselves as people? Do you feel that the path is laid out for us and we just live it or that every decision we make in every day shapes where we end up? I think you, I, I believe in the more proactive stance in that we have decisions to make. I think our circumstances sometimes um, can limit or expand the choices we have. Um, but I, I am a firm believer that there is always a choice. I think there's always a choice. Like I can choose to draw or not draw. I can choose to say yes or no. I can, I, there are so many choices in life. Yeah. You referenced that you are moving into a small business. You're starting a small business and it's, it's a new chapter for you. What's next? What does 2022 and beyond have in store for you? I'm hoping to, oh, I'm hoping to make this business successful. I'm, I think, moving away from the fine art, um, but it feels this business, which is essentially a design studio, I think, um, it feels like a synthesis of everything I've done. And so, like, I was just thinking the other day, I was like, did it take me so long to figure that out? Like, you know, because last year I, I had this kind of business idea and I was working towards it and I was like, I'm con I, it was a, a big idea and a challenging idea and, and I kept kind of working towards it. And then I was like, thought to myself, am I, and I kept not quite engaging with it. I kept running away from it. And I, and I had a good talk to myself and I was like, are you running away from this idea because it's big and challenging and it's something that you have to do? or are you running away from it because there's something you actually don't want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't want to do that idea. <laughs> like, it was such a good, 
realization. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I wasted like 12 months on this business idea. And then straight away, I had this other business idea of the design studio. And I was like, well, duh, of course, that's your plan. Like, you've been a graphic designer, you've been a product designer, you've been a, a visual artist, like, and you've done this small business course. And now this is like, it, it's like, it's all leading to this point. So I think 2022 is the, the synthesis. That's what we'll call it. Year of synthesis. And finally, Nicole, how do people check out your work and follow your progress? Well, uh, the most probably most frequently updated um, would probably be my Instagram account, which is NicoleLaw.au. Um, I am my new business venture is called Studio Lark, L-A-R-K-E, um, which also has all the regular social handles, but no posts yet. But you know, stand by for that. Um, I do have a website uh, which is very irregularly updated, but stick to Instagram. I think it'll be the best thing. And I'm friendly, so send me a message. Nicole, thank you for sharing your inspiring story on the Passion and Perspective podcast. Wishing you all the best. Oh, you're very welcome. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Passion and Perspective podcast. The Passion and Perspective podcast is made in loving memory of Katie Margaret Lees, who truly lived with passion and perspective.